is On Point with Jody Vance. Welcome to the program. I am Jody Vance sitting in for Alex Pearson tonight. We have a packed show for you. Eric Chapman will be with me a couple of times over the course of the next three hours with Must Listen Radio on a couple of important topics. One is about the scams that are ramping up. You know, the scam and spam calls and emails and texts and what have you. But they're going next level. And there's one story that Eric's got covered here that we all need to be aware of. Might have you second guessing your security on all of your banking as much as we do online. So much tapping going on. Also, Eric's going to talk a little later in the program about racism in our medical system. That's a series that he has been working on. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you. David Mosscrop of the Globe and Mail and Washington Post, the uh, political scientist, will give us his debrief on last night's leadership debate, a must-listen part of the program. And Dan Tannenbaum, yeah, familiar name, that Tannenbaum, is with us to talk about his twin boys' diagnosis of Crohn's disease two years apart. The, the trajectory of what his family has been through is really quite something. He's lending his name and his story to a very powerful event that we can all get involved in. We'll give you the details on that. And it's wild, the stats that Dan will throw down. Canada, somewhat of an anomaly with just how much Crohn's disease uh, hits our population. It's really quite shocking. We're going to begin, though, with an opportunity for you to get involved in this show and ask the questions of a scientist when it comes to COVID-19, from variants to boosters. Microbiologist Jason Tetro has a specialty in emerging pathogens like SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, and he joins us for the next half hour, and our phone lines are open now, so I want to give you an opportunity to call in any question you want. No holds barred, but this is science. We're talking real fact and database science here with a scientist. You can call 416-870-4600, 416-870-4600, excuse me, my dyslexia is kicking in. Let me try that again. 416-870-6400, or you can call toll-free, and that number is 1-888-225-TALK. That's 888-225-8255. Phone lines are open now. Call in and uh, Corey will get you lined up. Any questions for Jason, the germ guy, Tetro, a good friend of mine. Jason, glad to have you back on the show here. Always good to be joining you. You know, we had you on when I first was filling in for Alex and we opened up the phones and it was incredibly enlightening. The engaged and, and really passionately curious Ontarians that called and mm-hmm. so much so that we ended up having you back for another full half hour of Q&A here and there was no real jumping off point today other than the fact that some are feeling the turbulence of reopening the turbulence of knowing somebody or many who have tested positive can you give mm-hmm. us an idea of the the place that we are in this pandemic in this moment Sure. So we can do sort of the where are we right now trajectory, and that is that everything is sort of coming down. 
right? So we're seeing a drop in the number of cases. We're seeing a drop in hospitalizations and ICUs. We're also seeing a drop in the wastewater. So that's all good, unless you're in the GTA, at which point it's actually stabilized and level for the wastewater, which <laughs> that, that, that usually means it's going to be like an endemic. Um, but in that sense, what has happened is that many people have started to become confident that, yes, indeed, we are over this wave. The problem is that when you look at it from the long term, in other words, instead of the right now at this moment trajectory, and you look at it from where we are in the global context, it's going out of control. <laughs> I mean, we're, North Korea just shut down. China continues yeah. to be shut down. China has actually said even until 2023, they may not be having international events. Um, we're starting to see in Africa the um, sort of rise of new variants, and each one of those is somewhere between 10 and 30% more contagious than the one that we've just faced. And I'm starting to see on Twitter people who are saying, this is my fourth time having COVID. This is my third time having COVID. And we're beginning to understand now that while the numbers at this very moment might actually say things are getting better, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should be letting our guard down. And that's one of the reasons why you and I are still talking. It is something that we need to stay focused on. But those who are so fearful of the reopening, there's a there's like a movement on social media that is the polar opposite of the anti-mandate. And those are... The COVID is airborne people. There are people that are that are calling out scientists like you're you're turning your backs on everybody. And mm -hmm. like there ha is there some middle ground to be found here, Jason, in terms of why in Canada we can open up to the degree safely that we have now. Does can you draw a direct line to the reason being vaccination? Like you mentioned North Korea, you mentioned China. Um, yeah. Two places that you know we know mm -hmm. haven't had access to similar vaccine vaccines as we have. So if we look back across the ages at uh, different pandemics that have occurred, um, there are two things that we realize uh, can help us. Um, the first one happens to be barrier protection. Okay. And the reason I call it that is because there's another pandemic that's been going around for about 40 years now that also requires barrier protection. Just people don't like talking about that. So the reality is if you have something over top of your portal of entry, it'll help to reduce the chances that you're going to get that infection. That's the first thing. Now, this has been known for um, centuries, really. Uh, unfortunately, it gets politicized for centuries, and, and that's a big problem. The second is a more modern one, because we used to have pandemics all the time of very common diseases like polio, measles, and even smallpox. We don't hear about those anymore. How come? We have vaccination. So the reality is that we can achieve that middle ground, but in order to do that, we need to make sure that a certain percentage of our population has been vaccinated and has been vaccinated fully enough to be able to fight off the variants. And the second thing is that when we are in situations where we are, could be grouping with susceptibles, including those who don't have good immune systems or simply cannot get vaccines, primarily because of age, children, then we wear that barrier protection. When we have those two in place, things are great. Okay, that, there's good news in there. 
that it, as long as we are still utilizing the tools that we've learned over these last mm-hmm. two p- plus years, protect the vulnerable in our society, we can manage this. You use the word endemic and uh, you know, Eric Chapman's tuned in. I should let people know if you want to call in, you can 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. Jason Tetro is our guest. He's a microbiologist with a specialty in emerging pathogens like COVID-19. And Eric just chimed in and he said, wait a minute, wastewater? Endemic? Can you tell that? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that about the GTA. Yeah. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you ever heard of the term plateauing? Yes. Okay. So when cases plateau, or when you start to see wastewatering plateauing, and I actually used to do this back in the day when I was in Ottawa, um, you actually see what is called an endemic level. And the problem is, is that the word endemic has become so abused as of late that people don't really understand what it means. Endemic means that you have a stable number of cases, plus or minus a certain level, very small, every single day. So an endemic would be something like 10 cases per 100,000. And that's how much you get every single day. It doesn't go up, it doesn't go down. When you start going down, though, to a point where it's under, say, two cases per 100,000, then it may still be endemic, but invisible because most people are simply not being infected. That's something like plague. Plague is endemic in North America. We just never hear about it. And then when it gets below Um, one case per 100,000, then you start heading towards elimination. And that's what we have with measles and polio. So the reality is that with COVID-19 right now, and this has been the case in places like Alberta, where I live, you hit that plateauing, that endemic. And then what you try and do is find a way to bring it down so that it becomes invisible and then eventually eliminated. Unfortunately, (laughs) it hasn't really been going that well. No, no, there's no eliminating COVID-19. It's more that we have to learn to live with this virus. And that's what we keep hearing from our health officials, from our scientists who keep telling us that while the goal is the endemic, because the Mm -hmm. endemic is moving out of the emergency phase of the pandemic. Do I have that right? Have you educated me right? Yeah, so we've got pandemic, and then pandemic goes down to endemic, and then endemic goes down to endemic but invisible, and then that goes down to elimination. Um, The problem with something like a COVID-19, though, is that it's constantly mutating. It's constantly creating these variants, or what we call these drifts. And the problem is that every single one of the little blips that we hear about in a variant means that our ability to fight goes down by 10%. Now, when we had alpha... It was maybe about three or four. When we had beta, it was about eight, nine. Delta was 10. And then Omicron came around, it was 37. I promised John from Toronto that he'd be up first here. So welcome to the show, John. What's your question for Jason Tetro? My question is, what is the difference between bacteria and viruses and how they affect you? Um, Thanks, John. uh, Thank you. I mean, that's such a great question, isn't it? Um, The fact is that bacteria are small organisms um, that you cannot see with the naked eye. You have to look at them under a microscope, like a light microscope, the ones that you see in high schools and that. And they move around and tend to grow when they are in the presence of food, water, and warmth usually. Um, Now, those will grow, and what they do is they tend to use up different nutrients. 
And unfortunately, for some 1,500 or so species, you are the food. And we call these pathogens. So what they do is they go inside of you and then they grow. And as they grow, they eat pieces of you to be able to cause disease. Now, a virus, on the other hand, isn't like a bacterium. It's very, very small. It's so much smaller that you could probably fit hundreds of viruses on a single bacterium. But the most important thing about a virus that you need to understand is that it can't live on its own. It has to live inside of another host. In this case, it's a cell. And what we talk about is how viruses go into cells and grow. And there are different types of viruses. There are viruses that attack bacteria. We call them bacteriophages. There are viruses that um, essentially harm animals or birds. And then there are the ones that harm us, humans. SARS-CoV-2, what we've been talking about, is a human virus, but also an animal virus, and it lives inside different cells inside of our body, and those cells have a receptor known as ACE2. And then when it gets inside, the virus just grows and lives. The cell dies, and then, of course, that can grow, and as the cell dies, it leads our bodies to say something is wrong, and that stimulates our immune response. So that's the difference between the two. So when they say all bugs don't need drugs, what, which of them do? So when you're looking at the bacteria, okay, we used to use antibiotics all the time. The problem is that bacteria are able to resist antibiotics in the same way that we have variants, okay? <clears throat> and when that happens, we can no longer use those antibiotics. We call this antibiotic resistance. It has become a crisis because we now have bacteria that are pathogens. Essentially, they go inside of us, they live inside of us, they eat us, and we can't get rid of them using antibiotics because they're resistant to all of them. And we mm. see this now. What's really interesting is that there's a friend of mine, Stephanie Strafty. You've got to have her on your show one day. She actually okay. works with the viruses that attack bacteria, the phages, to be able to help humans in medicine. It's just fascinating. Wow. Okay, let's keep going down the phone lines here. We got Jack from Toronto. You're up next. Welcome, Jack. What's your question for Jason? Hi. Um, it's my understanding that those alcoholic uh, hand slather, hand sanitizer things are, uh, they can make us, um, we call it infertile and um, not be able to make a baby. But wait, wait, before you laugh, right? No. I, get I, I can laugh out. because that was my research for almost 20 years. But yes, go ahead. Really? Okay. Okay, so is it true or not? No, okay, <laughs> it's next. not true at all. Um, okay. When was the last time you got drunk from putting your hands in alcohol? I don't use it that much, but I don't think that what you, the latter portion of your question was actually or is possible. Um, but what, what bewilders me here, doctor, your doctorate? Uh, no, I'm actually a researcher, so I don't okay. have a doctorate. All right, fine. Researcher is when I look at the back of these um, N95 masks, they, they they clearly state that these Masks do not protect you against any viruses. Oh, Is there a gone. question there? Is, sorry. Yeah, well, why are they trying to tell us to wear a mask when we're trying to, some people are trying to hide from a virus, but yet the, uh, the mask box clearly states that these do not protect you against any viruses. And you're using, you know about bacteria, you're using hand sanitizer to battle a virus? I had an okay, amazing so, biology teacher. That's just totally foolishness. Okay, okay, have a listen here, Jack. Stay with us. Stay with us. So, Let's keep respectful um, here because I, I don't think know where Jason... you got the N95 thing because N95s right. are designed to be able to actually stop droplets 
So if you actually have just pure virus and you happen to be putting that through the side, then yeah, you're going to. But remember, whenever you're wearing an N95, you're preventing droplets from actually getting to you. And those are the droplets that you want to actually avoid. The droplets, however, don't necessarily have to be large. They can be incredibly tiny, all the way down to 0.3 micrometers. That's like almost the size of a bacterium. And when that happens, the electrostatic forces of the N95 actually bring in the water so that it stays stuck in the N95 and the viruses get stuck there. And since they need to live inside of a cell, they can't live on a piece of polypropylene and as a result, they die. Now, in terms of the alcohol, the reason that it kills everything is that alcohol is what we call a denaturant. And it actually breaks down the proteins that make up everything. And when that happens to a virus, it breaks down so that it no longer can attach to that receptor on the cell to get inside the cell. So it's not that it kills it. We actually officially say it inactivates it. In other words, right. it makes it unable in to actually infect. Whereas with bacteria, it just kills them. Right. It's that inert piece of the puzzle. I want to also point out uh, for Jack's uh, N95 or KN95 purposes, like when, when we're talking about certain PPE, and you taught me this, Jason, a proper N95 mask, the, the official one, you actually need to be fitted for. Like you don't buy those down at the drugstore at the end of the street. Yep, exactly. And it's really interesting because in the old days, when I used to do this back in the 80s and 90s, they would actually put you into a hood and then what right. they would do is they would either put in a scent or a smoke to see whether or not you could smell it. And, and the whole point was that you were not allowed to smell it. Otherwise, you didn't have a proper fit test. So N95s, I don't really recommend unless you've had a fit testing, but those N99s are amazing because they create, they're, they're made to create a seal. And so as a result of that, all you have to do is make sure that you've adjusted the nose clip and, or the, the, the nose wire and you're good to go. Right. It's got to be a little bit uncomfortable on your face. That's what I did when I was going in and out of my dad's long-term care home as his essential caregiver. Like we, we had to have the, the fitted to your face mask, uh, like clamped down, leaving a mark when I would take it off just after a few minutes, as well as the shield. Uh, plus we had to wear a gown and like the, in the moment it was, it was very, I, I felt like I was going into a, a surgical environment. I felt like I was mm -hmm. trying everything possible to protect. And, and I, I believe that people are doing their best with, with regard to hand sanitizer because our hands, who knew how much, well, you knew the germ guy and the germ, <laughs> the yeah. germ code and the germ files, like literally this is your expertise. And so I'm I glad that Jack asked that question, well, frankly. I, I know. And, and let me just say one thing to Jack. Um, I just, I'm here at my friends at OSHA, the uh, Occupational Health and Safety website in the United States, and we have the same thing here in Canada. And the fact is, is that it says, and I quote, the N95 respirator filter is as for other NIOSH-approved respirators is very effective at protecting people from viruses, including those that cause COVID-19. So I don't know where he got this idea, but I would very much like for him to take a picture of something that actually says it doesn't protect you from viruses and put that online. I'm on Twitter, at Tetro. You're very, very engaged on Twitter as well. Very engaged with our listener, and the phone boards are lit up for Jason Tetro, microbiologist <laughs> with an, uh, a specialty in emerging pathogens like COVID-19. Larry from Scarborough, you're up next. Welcome to the show. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Something I've never heard explained is where do all these viruses come from in the first place, whether it be polio, uh, measles, chickenpox? Because mm -hmm. I asked this question once on a show like this, and the doctor said, 
It came from the bat. How did the bat get of it? That's my question. Where do they all come from? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Okay, so one thing that you have to understand is that when we talk about evolution, what we normally do is we look at the last, say, 10 maybe 15 years. Um, Or in the case of the uh, pandemic flu from 2009, we look back 40 years. What you're looking for is what we call the most recent ancestor. And what that does is it actually creates a tree of life. So have you, if you've ever seen like um, those ancestry trees where you uh, might be related to Queen Victoria seven times beyond or something like that. Right. 23 and me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We have the same thing with viruses. And so when you look at where those viruses are coming from, you can actually trace back using the genetics to find out where it originally came from. Now, the big question is, and this is the same thing as, you know, the, the question of life, did viruses actually occur before any of us appeared? And what the going idea happens to be is that viruses actually were around at the same time as bacteria. They essentially were infecting bacteria. And then somehow a virus got into a bacterium and changed the way that it worked. And it started Mm -hmm. to create what is known as a virus for a um, eukaryotic or human or or animal cell um, as opposed to a bacterium. Now, all of this is just conjecture. We don't have any proof of this. But that's really where we think viruses initially came from. And then they just simply um, evolved with every other aspect of evolution over time to where we are today. Yeah, may I ask something? That's a great question. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Go uh, ahead, Larry. When you think of all the things that are here on Earth, for example, food, mm-hmm. water, and so on, that are here to help us, why would there be something as awful and killing as these viruses? That's what gets me. Well, because they're not awful or killing when you look at it from the perspective of all what viruses are doing. Remember, viruses essentially are just inert organisms that use thermodynamics to be able to multiply itself. That's it. Where it becomes a problem is that it's a parasite. And so it has to parasite off of some host. And that's where the host starts to think that something awful is happening to it. If it's a bacterium, it doesn't think it for very long because it's dead. But in the terms of something that's much larger, like a human, then the virus doesn't kill immediately. In fact, it actually sometimes creates um, a, a symbiosis or a synergy of parasitism. So the virus actually stays inside of you, persistent inside of you, and lives but you don't even know it's there, or even right. worse, you have some strange symptoms that you can't really explain, that no one can explain, and it's because that virus is sitting somewhere in your body just continuing to live. Fascinating conversation with you tonight, Jason. Every time we talk, I learn something new, and I'm saying that as the daughter of a scientist. My mom was a lab tech who, who showed me under the microscope that you were referencing earlier in this discussion. I had the rare, lucky opportunity to look at the difference between uh, bacteria and a virus. I knew what a Petri dish was mm-hmm. all, you know, but pre that pandemic, that AIDS pandemic, the, the my mom was yeah. a frontliner at that. I mean, how many... How many, just, just for reference sake, how many pandemics have you been through in your lifetime? So, I mean, officially, I've been alive for three. But when you look at the um, unofficial pandemics, it's probably more like seven or eight. Um, but the thing is, is that I've also done all the research of the pandemics of the past, all the way back to 542 AD with the Justinianic plague. 
And it really happens to follow the same timeline every single time. Uh, and one other thing, the reason we're having such a great talk is because we've got great listeners who are asking amazing questions. <laughs> Thank we really you do. so much for that. To the ones who hung on the line, I'm so sorry we couldn't get to you. If you are on social media, I'm telling you right now, at J.A. Tetro, T-E-T-R-O, at J.A. Tetro on Twitter, he will answer your questions, uh, and informatively and in long form as well. Uh, always a pleasure to hang out with you, Jason. Thank you for doing this. Hey, no problem at all. Take care. Again, follow him on social media and listen for him right here. Uh, he's always around on Chorus. It's so great to be able to call up a, a great mind like that. We're going to call on another great mind. Eric Chapman's going to join me. We're going to update on a couple of scams you might not be aware of or might fall prey to, but without even really knowing it, you can be in some deep trouble. Eric's going to share us with that on the other side of this.